1: Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at ConairGirlBomb.com or a
2: retailer near
0: you.
3: Me!
2: Focus Features presents Back to Black.
3: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
2: Experience the music and her story.
4: Know this. I ain't no fire skull.
2: Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I
4: want to be remembered for just being
2: me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th.
5: We all know how important it is to get a good night's sleep. I know that if I don't sleep for eight hours a night, I am not a sharp. From memory foam mattresses that hug in all the right places to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support at every price point. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash chelsea for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash chelsea.
2: This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback.
5: Okay, well, hello, Catherine.
6: Hi, Chelsea. How are you? I'm pretty good. I spent the weekend last weekend with my parents who were passing through California, and my husband and I went up and stayed with them in New Hall Ranch near Santa Clarita, which is all cowboy-themed. My dad, as you know, is a big cowboy fan. Oh, oh okay. Um, yes. So, yeah, the whole, the whole town was, like, cowboy-themed. It was very fun.
0: Mm. That's
6: I mean, like if you little... want to see cowboys, can't you just watch Yellowstone? <sighs> Yeah, I, you know what? I just need to do it. I do need to bite the bullet and watch Yellowstone.
5: Yeah, yeah. Yellowstone is, is, uh, where all the cowboys are at. People in Whistler love Yellowstone. And my girlfriend, <laughs> Wendy Grillo, well, sorry, Wendy Moniz is on the show Yellowstone. And so I am legally obligated to watch that out of friendship. Excellent. So, but she's so good in it. And the show just got nominated for a bunch of like awards, SAG awards. So, awesome. yeah, really no reason not to watch it, Catherine, at this point. Okay. <laughs> After I brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> I've been home for a week from Whistler or two weeks. Yeah. I'm on a little break because I had some business to tend to in the mm-hmm. LA area. Yes. And it was very hard for me to leave Whistler. I'm not going to lie. My only incentivization really was seeing Bert and Bernice. Yeah. And coming home to them and making sure that they still know who I am, which they do. <laughs> and they're actually really, really cute. And they yeah. really love Joe now. So it's really sweet. Like Bernice is a is, is a little bit of a hoo-ha, you know, she only likes men. She doesn't support <laughs> she does not support other women. She is not a champion of women. And she Started following him around. And then I said, Bert, I said, Bert, I said, it's confusing because I call them all Buddha. I call yeah. <laughs> Joe Buddha. Anything I love that is squeezable is a Buddha. Where does that come from? Uh, just like Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. I don't know. <laughs> like I call my dogs Buddhas. I call my nieces and nephews, you know, and yeah. I'm like Pinch their pinching cheeks. their bodies. Well, I do a little bit more than their cheeks, but <laughs> I call everything that I love Buddha. So I don't know where that comes from. I'm sure it makes Joe feel very special that he's not the only one called that but anyway, Bernice has taken to Joe, and she followed us in the room. And I told Joe that Bert had to sleep in the bed with us because that's obviously, yeah. yeah. And he said, "I said, does that do you like when Bert sleeps in the bed with us?" And he said, "Well, I like whatever you like." And I was like, oh, "You know what, Joe? Good answer. Every answer is the best, <laughs> is the right answer with him. Yeah. He really does. Yeah. I really am going to write a handbook for men because he just says." The other day I was, I was doing a Zoom for like two hours and, you know, that's a little bit much for me. It's two hours straight. I was like, whoa. And uh, I just needed my Canada Dry. Like mm. my Diet Canada Dry mm-hmm. is my like elixir for everything. <laughs> and he, I, I was thinking about it. I was sitting at the table in Whistler and I was like, oh, God, I want that. I, when can I get a break to get up and get yeah. that? You're like an addict. And then he, like, I am, I'm addicted. Uh-huh. And he all of a sudden just came upstairs, walked right to the fridge, took out a ginger ale and mm-hmm. put it in front of me. And I was like, "Oh my God, you're my ginger ale soulmate."
6: <laughs> he just like fully read your mind. He
5: knew. He does it all the time. Oh my gosh! He does. Yesterday, he goes. I I was. I kept putting my lip balm down, and he kept picking it up. You know, because he always wants to have my lip balm for me, which is so sweet. Because I'm also addicted to lip balm, yeah. Canada Dry <laughs> and lip balm. And I'm an elderly woman.
6: (laughs) There are worse things to be addicted
3: to.
5: (laughs) And he was like, oh. And then I had my purse, and I went to grab my purse. He goes, I am not going to tell you this again. You are not ever carrying anything in my presence. And I was like, honey, you
6: are just too much. He's a hero. Yeah, even
5: my own purse, he refuses to let me carry.
6: (laughs) It's so cute. I Like, how many women in America are now in love with Joe Koi.
5: Oh, I think so. All I think so. Yeah, I got a lot of a lot of DMs about it. It's really cute. <laughs> He's so lovable. Yeah, like I'm so in. Uh, yeah, I'm so into him. And it was nice. We just did a show in Seattle. He was performing at that Sonics where the Sonics used to play. It was, mm-hmm. It's called the Climate Pledge Arena, but it was used to be called something else. And he saw Eddie Murphy there when he was 15 years old and oh, sat man. in like row 15. And so he was able to have like that full circle moment. And he sold yeah. out 14,000 tickets. 14,400 actually in this arena and I got on stage as like a surprise guest and then he got on stage and it was like the most incredible thing to see it was emotional it was amazing the guys from boys to men came out and sang with him at the end <laughs> That's
1: incredible. it was just so
5: cool and he got really choked up during his performance because yeah. I'm looking at just that is such an insane Massive. amount of people to do stand-up to
6: Tell me this. I'm curious. Is there, like, a different kind of comedy that you feel like plays to those, like, massive arenas versus, like, more intimate venues? Or is it just sort of, like, what you can sell out, you can sell out?
5: Yeah, no, I do think I thought that because I was ner- I was going up. I was like, fuck, I got to buck up. I'm like 14,000 <laughs> people. This is That's a insane. lot. And then I was like, all right, you know, and I was like, this doesn't really play. Like, what jokes do you tell? Because you're just not convinced That that amount of people are going to be able to hear everything you're saying, even though it's acoustically set up (laughs) for them to hear you. So it does play. It did work. And I said that to him. I go, you know, I've always thought that it was too many people for stand up. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't provide the intimacy that stand up needs. But Yeah, I think some comics wouldn't play in that kind of big of a thing Mm -hmm. because there are different types of comics, but it was great, and he certainly can. so fun. And I actually was like, oh, I like this too. I didn't think I would. I thought it would be too big. He's so easy to be
6: happy for and so easy to root for, you know? He's just like... Kind and wonderful. Mm -hmm. Like when it's actually funny when he helped us out the other week setting up and he was our he was our producer for the day. Yeah. Honestly, that was the smoothest it's ever gone.
5: Oh, (laughs) I know. You know what I was saying? I was talking to someone about it and I was like. The thing I love about him so much is that he's so engaged with every single person he speaks mm-hmm. to, yeah, and that he pays attention to everyone. It doesn't matter if it's a kid or a relative or a stranger. He's always yeah. interested and engaged and like present. And I'm always so like I love that.
6: Yeah, sexy. Where do you, where do you think that comes from for him? Is that upbringing? Is that just who he's he just is? so humble?
5: I guess you know he's so yeah. humble. He's just so sweet, and he really takes people in. Yeah, you know. like I've had so many boyfriends that just never really took in my family or took the time like Mm -hmm. he's on the phone with my sisters without me with my nieces he's texting it's just so sweet and I kind of like I'm like oh I have a team member now I'm not just on my own Mm -hmm. so that's that's the best part, too. Oh, that's
6: wonderful. Yeah,
5: and he's ripped now. He's ripped I mean, from skiing. He's like, he lost oh, six... O- every morning, I'd be like, weigh yourself. I don't understand what's going on. He would lose a pound, six ounces to a pound every day. <laughs> and I was getting ready. I'm getting ready for this big like campaign I'm doing for uh-huh. this athletic wear company. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm the one who needs to get my body together. And he's just... Every day, he's like more and more shredded. I'm like, oh. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... Hot Joe alert! Watch out, guys. Oh, watch out. His underwear campaign is coming. <laughs> I'm very excited for our guest, as always. I'm always excited for our guest because I just love doing this podcast and seeing what people can contribute. A friend of mine who's also a comedian, because I feel like female comedians are pretty insightful. They have a lot of good things to offer up, I think. And they're filled with a lot of self-confidence and self-doubt. So you get the best of both worlds. Please welcome comic and writer Beth Stelling. So Beth, you took a little break after your most recent stand-up special came out on HBO Max, right? Call her daddy? It, um, girl daddy. Girl daddy. Girl Daddy. Sorry. Shit. Caller Daddy's another
4: podcast. <laughs> yeah, So many daddies running There's around.
5: There's too many daddies. <laughs> it's called Girl Daddy <laughs> on HBO Max.
4: And a lot of Zaddies running around, thanks to the queer eyes. Yeah, I did. I just I just had something weird happen. I don't know. I did, obviously, the weird part was the pandemic. I just, I don't know how to explain it. And I don't want to be depressing.
5: <laughs> well, you know, don't worry about that. But I'm curious to know. I mean, that was an amazing special. You're so thoughtful. You're so smart. You're a great stand-up. Like, I loved that special. So when he told me that, I was like, oh, my God, I have to ask her why and what happened. And don't worry about being depressing.
4: Okay. Yes. So go back to, like, starting in stand-up. It was 07 for me. And I just remember thinking, like, how do I want to do this? And I knew all the stereotypes. And the sad part is they never leave. It's just, you know, like 14 or 15 years later, it's just like, women aren't funny. Women only talk about sex. And so when I first started, I really felt like a young person who wanted to just be part of the solution, meaning like, I'm just going to not talk about sex. I had all these rules for myself when I first started as a youngin, where I was like, I'm not going to talk about sex. I'm not going to hook up with the other comedians. And then I had other dumb ones, like, I'm never going to take a notebook on stage, and I'm never going to repeat a joke. (laughs) And then you realize, well, that's not what stand-up is. It's so funny
5: you say that. Let me just interject there yeah, because please. I remember when I signed with my managers, when I was really starting out, they took me down to Irvine to the improv to see Janine Garofalo. And she had her notebook on stage. And I was like, oh, that is not professional. You know, yeah. and here I was like not knowing my ass from my elbow, judging somebody <laughs> who had been doing this for 15 to 20 years already going, how could she ever do that? Cut to That's exactly what you do when you're working out material is bring a notebook on stage.
4: I mean, they had to convince me to not have my little notebook when I was filming my special. I mean, I just—it it is like a comfort thing. And also, getting to tour with Sarah Silverman, she always has the, like, this is why I am like this. You know, like, she always has her legal pad, and so it made it okay. And also, she, I I one time heard her say, like, forget if somebody said something about the pad or something. She said something like, forgive my notes, um, I don't respect you. So, it was just like... (laughs) It was a way to, like, dispel that because because I remember being at Laughs in Seattle after my first half hour on Comedy Central. That was, like, 2015 or something. And I had my notebook with me. And some guy in the crowd at Laughs in Seattle was like, why are you reading notes? And somebody in the audience was like, she just, like, somebody def- came to my defense. And at that time in my, how I was on stage and my persona or whatever I actually kind of needed them to come to my defense because I was just I'm so sensitive and mm. they're like she just re- filmed specials she's just working stuff out like leave her alone
5: I always just say I'm doing my taxes
4: yeah. <laughs> See, <laughs> I, I mean I love that and also I remember opening for Burr even when he was at the Irvine he was letting me run my half hour when, before the stand-ups on Netflix and he was it was called working it out at the time and somebody yelled at him from the crowd even what are you why are you reading that it's so funny because like people have this idea of stand up of what it's supposed to be. And I guess they still believe that we're just like coming up with it all off the top of our head. And in some ways you are, you know, if you're doing crowd work or improvising, but I had all these little ideas of when I started and I didn't like going up. I would get an open mic 22 years old Chicago, seeing a girl go on stage and just talk about getting like butt fucked and shit going everywhere. And to me, I was like, it's not that I was a prude or I thought like, It was more me being judgmental and thinking like, why are you doing this to us? Mm. Why are you going up there and just leaning into the stereotype? It's just exhibitionist. Where's the joke? You know, I'm being all very on my high horse. And as time went on, I tried to stick to that because I thought, well, I'm going to beat this stereotype by just being funny. And by being funny as a woman and not talking about sex, that's feminist because it will show that that is what we can do and be. And so I stuck to that for a long time until really this last hour. It's not that I never talked about anything sexual, but this last hour, at the beginnings of it, I remember being at the Funny Bone in Dayton. Ugh. And that's, I mean, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. So I have, like, my friend's family in the front row. I have my whole family. They're teachers that I grew up with. And a lot of the stuff I wanted to talk about was sex. And, like, not dirty, what I believe to be exhibitionist and not okay, like, but jokes. Like, I felt like I held it in for so long that I earned it. That I was like, no, I'm going to talk about it because I'm so tired of not and mm-hmm. I can do it well. So I fought that for a long time. And the early parts of it, of course, weren't as funny as I wanted them to be. So that was an uncomfortable weekend, be, like doing the sex stuff in front of those people until I'm working out the jokes until they're good enough. So that was already the, the entry into this hour. I felt obviously, I guess we can name it as like shame or I don't even know. And then once I felt good about it and I was really rolling with it, a lot of it was driven by anger, by watching male comics specials and then almost writing retorts to them. Mm, Yeah. Because I feel irritated that even though it's been so long and women have been funny for so long, for decades, that we're still not granted individuality when we walk on stage like men are. So... It just bothered me that they don't get named social justice warriors for talking about some of the same topics that we're mulling over or trying to create jokes out of. So, yeah, that bothered me. And I wrote a lot of retorts to that. So it was almost fueled by rage. And then but that was before I filmed March 7th, 2020. So I filmed truly the weekend before the world sort of well, shut down.
5: I remember you and I had a conversation we, at my production company because we were talking about you filming your special and we were talking about certain male comics and you were actually debating about going after someone. I don't even remember who or, you know, calling yeah. him out specifically. And I was like, that's a great idea do it. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: was
5: like, yeah. And I, I did. Mean, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that does take guts and balls. And, like, I I love that. I think that's... <laughs>
4: Brave. Well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. I definitely don't regret it at all. I think I'm just like I looked at like even during the pandemic, I watched Richard Pryor. So like back when I started, I didn't watch a ton of stand up because I was terrified of stealing. You know, in that same naive way that when you first start, you're like, I better not put in my material online because people might steal it. It's like, nobody wants it. You're not funny. But I just was s- terrified of stealing someone's persona or jokes or anything. So I didn't watch. I wasn't a student of stand-up. And I never really, like, dreamed of being one growing up. I kind of just wanted to be an actress. So I watched in the pandemic priors like, Long Beach set from 79 And I had never been, like, a huge prior fan because I just didn't watch a ton of it. And then as I was watching it, I thought it was incredible. And I was also saddened because he's talking about police brutality. And at the time, I'm sure that was potentially scary and controversial. And then what made me even sadder is how long it's been and nothing's changed. So I began to feel really depressed and downtrodden about the fact that what we think we do might change people. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. Right. So... I know I've reached people I'm like I also don't want to be like a sad sack that's like why what I do doesn't make a difference because I know I have I have had cool people come up to me afterwards and say so so I know it means something I just think after it came out it was in August of 2020 I just didn't feel like much changed. I don't know. It's not like I expected... It's not like I think so highly of myself. I thought it would change the world or something. No, I I know what
5: you mean, though. Yeah. You know, when you're going into, like, an artistic endeavor like these, you know, a stand-up special is a big endeavor. It's you, 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 and you. There's no one else to blame anything on. Mm -hmm. So, and when you're... It's an undertaking. uh, Because I remember my special, Evolution, came out, like, shortly right after yours. So I was watching yours, like, closely because we had had that conversation, too. And... I think it's so true that you think that you're always kind of disappointed by the reaction something gets. I mean, when are we ever pleased with the reaction something gets? You know, I get my podcast numbers every month. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe all these people are listening to this podcast. This is the easiest thing I've ever done with almost no intention. You know, I'm just yeah. having like conversations. I'm like, oh, is it? Is that what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to handle everything with just kind of off the seat of your pants? But I think what you're saying, a, I I can relate to on so many levels about not wanting to Listen to other comedy, stand-up specifically, because you don't want to mimic others accidentally, because you can do it so accidentally anyway. But the one thing I've learned over the last many years is we all are talking about the same shit. It doesn't make you less of a comic it's you know it's all of our what's our angle everyone is talking about sex and parents and family and religion and anal and whatever you're talking (laughs) about it's it's not unique the subject matter what's unique is your take on it or your strength or your weaknesses or you know your pov so that's something we always have to remind ourselves of right
4: yeah, and I think that's what got me sort of, I just and also of course, everything with uh, what felt like you know, this racial reckoning in that early of 2020, which of course, I felt like, what do I have to add? So so that also contributed to it, where I felt like I should just shut up. And it and then I was further agitated by some of the people who I had originally been fueled with some of that material because they didn't shut up. And it's like, you're just going to keep tweeting and you're just going to keep making jokes that are so trivial about some of these like really important things. Like, why can't we all, why can't you guys just sit down? I even felt that way material-wise or just everybody during the pandemic where I was sort of like, oh good, the world's telling us to take a nap, but all these kids are getting up and running around. I'm like, could you guys just fucking lay down for a bit? You know? Mm-hmm. And then from home, everybody's doing stand-up shows and getting green screens. And I realized that's pivoting and like, taking charge of career. And so I think I just was going through something personally that made me feel like, well, can we all just please rest? Cause we're supposed to, <laughs> or maybe I just went so hard for so long when the world said stop, I was like, Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think a lot of people thought that way for sure. Yeah. Which stopped me from writing and, and there's so much content so, so like when we're supposed to be resting and then you open your phone, and it's like everybody's doing stuff from home, from a green screen, doing these things. And I'm like sitting here thinking already, you know, this after a special comes out, you know, I've never given birth, but, but it sometimes did feel like that. I, you just can't control once it gets away from you and then it's gone. And people's immediate reaction is that was so good. Can't wait for the next one. Mm. And instead of me taking that as like, thank you. I'm going, there is no next one. <laughs> that took me so long. Right. And then I'm also just looking at people's specials, feeling like, shouldn't it be special? You know, and, and instead of what was just you on your podcast, you've now put into a special. Mm-hmm. And so people were watching going, well, I've already heard that. And I'm over here thinking like, I don't want to be some sort of like sound like some sort of martyr. That's like, aren't we supposed to work on our craft for so long? Because it's just like, that's part of what's changed. Is And I should adapt. I'm basically not adapting, I think, is what is happening. I'm going, I meticulously work on jokes for years, and then I will give you something special. And I can't really participate that any longer. I'm sure it's. it almost reminds me of this guy I dated in Chicago who was a photographer who went to school for photography, and then Instagram happened. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? I, I'm, like, developing photos for people to get, you know, way more attention, followers, jobs, work. From just a filter. But yeah, I think I am just sort of not keeping up.
5: (laughs) Well, that's a product of social media, right? That's the impact that social media has on each of us and how we deal with it. You wouldn't be thinking those things about yourself if you weren't looking at other people and what they were doing.
4: Absolutely. And I don't like it. I don't like how that feels. I, I like I'm someone who does believe there is room for everybody and you shouldn't be out there comparing yourself to others. But I just think it's hard when it feels like it's part of the job now. And and then if I am resistant to it, then it makes me seem like some sort of bitter person who just doesn't feel like they're successful enough. When what I really want to do is create stuff that I care about that is good, that matters. And I think sometimes I'm a little too precious about all of it.
5: Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it would probably do you some good to just not pay attention. You know, like keep your head in your stuff and focus on your stuff without looking around, even in like cutting that stuff in half. Because there's no positive impact from looking at social media. There hasn't been anything proven that 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 anything positive comes out of it. And we're all <laughs> we're all victims of it. We're all victims of scrolling mindlessly. I mean, I once did a test on myself to see how many times. I went to Instagram without even thinking, like, in the middle of my day because uh-huh. I put it in, an, like, a, its own folder to prevent myself from so easily accessing it because all of a sudden you're watching something and you're like, wait, when did I get on Instagram? You know, three minutes ago I was supposed to be reading a book. What happened? <laughs> so it's just a matter of trying to kind of limit your exposure to that because that's what it is.
4: Yeah. And I definitely have. And I'm back to writing and I'm like getting out again. And I have been for the last year. But that's that's a weird part of it, too, is uh, wait, you're you've remained covid free, right? Yeah, you're a gold yeah. star.
5: I know. I know. I'm <laughs> not going this. Well, I'm
4: a medical director. So that's why I love it. Uh, well, I was back doing shows again and I was vaccinated, fully vaccinated. And then I got a, I had a breakthrough case in August. It's like a mixture of things. It's like all of a sudden, two years went by in a blink. I wasn't writing as much. My life changed so much by not touring. I'm still writing for people and doing punch-up and stuff a lot and writing a show and writing on shows. So, like, I am grateful to keep my mind going and joke writing and be in comedy so it's not like I'm down for the count or something. But I guess after you do something for so long and you have that weird relationship or break with it, I don't know if it's COVID brain fog or what's going on, but, like, I have trouble remembering things. Like, there's a lot adding to to all of it. And then the fear of getting back out again after not doing it for so long.
5: Oh, yeah, totally. I, I think I
4: have to shift my mindset a bit because I like listening to you when you say things like how happy people, you're giving people this service, like you're going to perform for them and give them jokes. And oddly, I have this other mindset that's like, oh, no, am I going to be good enough? Will it be worth their money? I don't wanna waste their time. You know, like some things I need to sort of shift before I go back out and remember like, I know this job is fun. I know it, I was happy to be doing it, but something's happened to me over the years where I've grown more introverted and I, and I think also it has to do with like vulnerability. It's almost like, I feel like I owe it. And it's a strange divulging thing that I have where I feel like I have to tell you everything. You know, and I think that's taken a toll as well. My mom will always be like, it's your strength and, and, and also a weakness of yours. And I know you're also like, you are vulnerable. You've been most vulnerable in this last special. So I don't know if you've shifted into wanting to do that more or if you felt exhausted by it.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I did. Like, I, I, when I put that special out, I was like, okay, now let's get back to like, stand up, stand up. Like, I had to say all of that for my, my own peace of mind and everything you just said, I can totally relate to taking a break. I didn't do it for six years, getting back on stage. I had to like go in the back door, you know, I, I went on a book tour. I say that in quotes because it was like my own psychic way of, Allowing myself to be on stage, but not alone, because I yeah. had someone interviewing me. And then eventually, once I gathered all the stories that I was telling on stage, I knew, okay, this is a new hour of material. Now let me kick the interviewer off the stage and I'll just go up there. But it was very backdoor, like, you know, getting back into stand up, which is something my agents, my managers, everyone on my team had been telling me that I have to do. You have to do stand up. You can't take breaks from stand up. You, you know, and I was like, fuck it. I don't need to listen to anybody and I'll do it on my own terms. So I can definitely relate to what you're saying about not thinking you were worthwhile, not thinking I was good enough, not thinking people are going to get it or they're going to forgive me for taking such a long break or they're going to say, oh, I'm too serious now. I'm not funny enough. All of those things. And I think the only way to combat that is by being
4: on stage. Yeah. And that's what I've basically come to now, two years later, (laughs) is I'm getting back out locally for sure. And I've started getting back on the road and I'll, in my first club in a long time, well, I did like the fort in Fort Collins in Colorado. Like I keep dipping my toe like once a month and yeah. like places where I feel good or run by people I feel good about. And so then I'll be at comedy works in Denver the first weekend of February. And, you know, that club is just the best.
5: Oh, the best, the best. I love that. That yeah. and Zany's in Nashville are two, my yeah, two
4: favorites. Yeah, I agree with you. Those are our favorites for sure. They're just, they feel good. And I almost feel like I can try anything. So I am thankful that that's my first club back in a really long time. And then also just I'll always get in my head about new material where I'm like, it has to be all new. And years ago after our half hours, Nate Bargatze and I were talking and he was saying, you know what I'm doing on the road is, I'm saying up top, I'm going to go as long as I can with my new stuff. And then I'll tell you when we got to dip into the old, (laughs) which I really liked because it just is like, I put a lot of pressure on myself to always bring like new material. And then going back to what you just said, like, I got to get back to stand up. Part of me is like, can I write just like an hour on burritos or something? You know, (laughs) just like, let's, I just want to do like fun topics, like find instead of trying to dismantle the patriarchy.
5: Well, I think also, yeah, you did that in your last special, you know, you kind of like had to do a certain thing. And I think the good reminder is that you're doing this because stand up is supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be so grueling, right? (laughs) It's supposed to be fun. At least the time you're on stage should be fun. So that's a good reminder. Yeah. Anyway, you sound like you're in a great space to give advice to our callers today. So, I mean, the timing could not be better. Readers Digest, most uplifting comic of the year here. We have callers that call in. We have people that write in. We have people that zoom in and we just give them our feedback. And people are really earnest and they call in with serious stuff. So, we're just going to tell them what we think. And usually, people call in when they've already made a decision and they need a nudge in that direction yeah, from they like. Know a braver bigger sister to be like hey go take a leap of faith so but yeah should we uh get started katherine did you guys meet did i even introduce you i two? don't think we officially did i'm katherine i'm such a terrible host i'm so sorry Catherine. <laughs> you're doing
6: great okay. Catherine's great
5: i like your
4: hair
6: thanks i loved your specials i watched them thank all you, <laughs> thank you very much so we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back with questions
5: order your books now and with 25% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. So go to books.com and use promo code Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code Chelsea.
0: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of hair removal tools that just don't
1: cut it? Conair Bomb gives you smooth, flawless results while putting you firmly in control.
5: Okay, and we're back. Today's guest is Beth Stelling, a really hysterical stand-up comedian. And Catherine is our producer who is here every episode, and we are ready to get into it.
6: Yes. Our first question comes from Desi. Dear Chelsea, on one episode, you mentioned going to dinner with Joe and his ex-wife. I've been in a lesbian relationship with my partner for the past eight years. She's divorced and has children with her previous husband. Any tips on how I can initiate a relationship with her ex-husband without being crazy jealous? I know for the sake of the kids, it would be a great thing, but I don't know how to navigate the feelings I feel when he's around. The kids have expressed wanting to do functions with everyone, but my insecurities have stopped me from participating. Any tips would help? Thanks and keep kicking ass, Desi.
5: Oh, well, that's so easy. Like, don't you just want to be an addition not a subtraction, right? You wanna be an addition to people's lives and to the betterment of this is your partner, this is these are her children. Obviously you care about them and about being a positive influence and being a role model. And those are all the reasons you need to just reach out. like There's nothing going on with them. You've been with her for eight (laughs) years. Your insecurities, you just have to put in a box and like visit them when you come home at night if you still want to go there. And my instinct is that you probably won't want to go there. After you extend yourself like that with other people, you feel so good about yourself and you feel so good about the situation.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I would say fake it till you make it because you just need to get there. Get yourself at the event. Be pleasant, especially if the husband's not a monster and didn't do anything <laughs> bad. You know, relationships come and go, and uh, it's sort of important that you are a positive force, like Chelsea said. So I think that you, once you actually get yourself there and are kind and you're and you're doing going through the motions, then it will actually come for real, and you'll see the benefits of of a blended family.
5: Yeah. And then you become a hero because then everyone's like, oh, look at her, you know, olive branch here, olive branch. It's not even an olive branch because this right. person probably never right. did anything to you. So it's just being decent. And then that act extends and extends and extends. And you're just going to be happier
4: for it. I promise you. Yeah, I feel like maybe there is a small like this. is I have all kinds of stuff like these relationships in my family with my sisters, like what this person is going through. And I think you have to remember that they're not with that person, the ex-husband, for a reason. So they they've been with you for eight years and that ended for a reason and just by being there showing up it will only solidify that that you are the right person for them and the great partner so
6: yeah and at the risk of being another white lady recommending Untamed by Glennon Doyle read <laughs> Untamed by Glennon Doyle like she talks about all this stuff like co parenting and dinners with her ex and her wife and it's really lovely and makes it not seem so scary also.
4: Yeah. It could potentially even strengthen your relationship with your partner.
6: Yeah.
5: And also another thing to note is anytime you're having any emotion related to jealousy, which many emotions lead to, then it's important to negate it. Like to say, okay, that's not or invalidate it, I should say, to remind yourself that jealousy is not a helpful or useful emotion and it will only hinder you. So whenever you're having misgivings about something or you're feeling insecure or competitive or whatever, however it presents, when you reduce it down and find out that it's jealousy, oh, I'm jealous of this, then you have to kind of act out against that. That's the only way to kind of extinguish jealousy from your life. Yeah.
6: Well, our next question comes from Bells. Dear Chelsea, Two months into my marriage, my husband found out that he's inheriting millions of dollars.
5: Excellent update.
6: (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's enough to obviously make a significant change in our lives, but nothing crazy like we can quit our jobs and retire in our 30s. I feel insanely fortunate to have this new financial cushion in my life, especially since I'm quitting my job and going back to school, but I'm mostly feeling very lonely. He comes from some wealth, and I come from a family of five living off $45,000 a year. I don't feel like I can tell anyone except my closest friend because I have no idea how people would react. I have no idea how to feel about it. I'm crazy thankful for the opportunities that this brings, but lonely as fuck. I'm writing to you to hopefully get some insight as to how you handled coming to fame and the wealth that came along with it. XOXO, Bells.
5: Hi, Bells. Hey, Chelsea. How's it going? Hi. Say hi to Beth today. She's our guest. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. Nice to meet you. Hi. So, okay. So your, your husband is coming into a significant amount of money. Yes. Great. This is good news. But you seem very, very fearful about this. Yeah, it's just kind
3: of, I've never known what that's like. I grew up without money. Um, so it's kind of like growing up with financial trauma, in a sense. I mean, it's not my money, but it's our money, I guess. And it's just a very odd place to be.
4: I can relate. Even just like having made money on my own. My mom is a teacher and she raised me and my two sisters. And even like when I get a writing job and television and we find out how much I make per week, we squeal. You know, it's like, un- and I've been doing it now for years. So I think it's something that's really hard to get used to, especially if you're, when you're growing up, you were used to. Whatever it was, fast food, or every time you get to a register, it's like you know a shock each time, or having to return things, you know, at the at the till. So, I think the thing that resonated with me that you said is the lonely part. Have you been able to talk about it with your husband yet, or it ha- shared some of those feelings?
3: Yeah, definitely a bit. It's we had no idea that it was coming, And so it's definitely taken a lot of time to adjust. And throughout that adjustment, we've been able to talk about it more. But I guess he's just in a different money to him is a little bit different. He didn't have that fear growing up. So it's just we're coming at it a different level, I would say.
5: I would also, you know, urge you to like, this has all the makings of being something positive, you know, it doesn't have to I understand you don't come from money. I didn't come from money either, but I mean I was never starving or anything, but I didn't definitely didn't have wealthy parents. But it's a gift. You know, you have to look at it with positivity and like brightness and excitement. Like you're going to be responsible. You're going to rely on yourself because you've had the life experience that you had, which was struggling financially. And that's why you're a great candidate for this to happen to. You know what I mean? Because you're going to be responsible about it. You're not going to blow all your money. You know, you make these commitments to yourself to kind of instill the confidence that you need to kind of handle this gift that's coming into your life. Does that make sense? absolutely
3: yeah and it has been like such a gift it's given us the opportunity to pursue career paths that we didn't have the opportunity to before and that's just completely life-changing and something that i would have never expected to be given
4: yeah yeah that sounds awesome are you struggling with feeling like it's yours as a couple not so much not really I think that's really good then. That's a really good sign. Because I think that that would be my instinct to be like, oh, gosh, well, it's not mine. I'm not entitled to it. And I didn't earn it. And and those things, unfortunately, like Chelsea said, are those are the negative thoughts. And I think that taking a positive spin on this, like it is a gift. And because you're used to being more careful with your money, you will be responsible with it. You know, and you're not going to do anything crazy. And the other thing that comes to mind, too, is, of course, it sounds like you're going to be investing in careers that you guys are more attached to or connected to. And then the other way would be to make sure you give a little of of it away and to things that you care about. And that might also help make it feel positive.
3: Definitely looking forward to that aspect of it. I have a lot of giving nature to me and I'm just like, I, I think the, the loneliness aspect is kind of like seeing the people around me just in my daily life struggle and, it's like why why do i deserve this over these other people like here take this please but right. that's not
4: necessarily
3: responsible
4: i understand there's also a weight to it i've struggled with where it's it's like it doesn't just mean nothing to me you know where if i if i am generous or i to me i've struggled with the the line between getting taken advantage of and being generous cuz i do want to share and and help but I think that that's something just to also be wary of. Is not I'm not saying be head on a swivel. People are going to take advantage of you. But I think that is like an aspect of it. Chelsea, what do you think about that?
5: Yeah. I mean, there's a definite responsibility. And I think everything you're saying is right already. You're not talking about going and getting a Ferrari. You know what I mean? You're not talking about blowing your money on bullshit. And of course, there might be a couple things that you, you are extravagant that you place into your life, but you're already having the dialogue with yourself that's responsible. So I think you should let go of some of this burden that you're placing on yourself. It's unnecessary. And you're giving yourself kind of stress where there doesn't need to be. You know, you've had all the right thoughts and you're and you're in the right place. Like everything's lining up to be for you to be successful and
4: responsible with this and not be an asshole.
2: Yeah.
4: (laughs) You can always press that 20% button when you're getting your coffee. Yeah. To tip those. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Always.
5: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you can't control who the, you know, this isn't something that you is actively pursued. So stop, Also playing that narrative around about all your friends and why do you deserve this? We don't know why anybody deserves what anybody gets, but just be responsible with what you do get.
6: Yeah. And that's the thing about money is it allows us to have power in this society and you can hit that 20%, hit that 25%, you know, give a little extra at the holidays, find some organizations that you really love to give to. But even in our pre-interview call, you had mentioned like, well, I'm going back to school and I was going to sign up for scholarships, but how can I do that when I have this gift? And, you know, maybe the gift is... You pay for your own school, and someone else qualifies for that scholarship who really needed it. So, you know, you just never know who is going to need exactly that in their life. A couple of books, too. I just happened to be reading this. One is called Uneasy Street. You're always
5: reading books about finances, (laughs) couples and finances. Weirdly, I I am.
6: (laughs) Because that's the fucking last thing I'm reading, so it's a great (laughs) (laughs) compliment. Well, this one I just thought was so fascinating. It's called Uneasy Street, and it's by Rachel Sherman. And it reads a little bit like it was probably her doctoral dissertation at some point. So it's a little dry in parts, but it's a book about like not the 0.1 percenters, but like 1 percenters in New York City who are like raising a family and doing a renovation. And what you talked about with this loneliness around money, she interviews these people and most of them won't talk to anybody about how much they make. And so it sort of like feels very secretive for them to be divulging this to this writer. But the way they... Talk about the money. She breaks down the different styles of how these people feel about the money that they have, whether they inherited it or have a high paying job or whatever it is. And I think it would be really or a really good read for you to see that you're not alone. And there are a lot of different ways that people feel about having quite a big sum of money. And then another one is you are a badass at making money. So obviously, at first blush, that sounds like it's not what you're trying to do. But what she does is she helps you to reframe how you think about money so that it doesn't just feel like this kind of dead weight thing. It feels a little bit more like, what can I do? How does this give me agency in the world to help others around me or to help myself in a way that I can be a light to those around me? Um,
5: thank you. Yeah. Well, there you go, Bells. So keep us posted and let us know, OK? Give us Send us in an update. And keep in touch so we can see what happens and all the great things you're able to accomplish. Cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
4: Yeah, Yeah, you're welcome.
6: Good luck with school. Thanks. All right. Our next caller is Kelsey. She's in her 30s. Dear Chelsea.
5: order your books now and with 25% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. So go to books.com and use promo code Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code Chelsea.
0: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of hair removal tools that just don't cut
1: it? Conair Bomb gives you smooth, flawless results while putting you firmly in control.
6: So follow The 7 right now. Ago, I met a guy through a mutual friend, and we had an instant connection. We dated for a few months, but ultimately, I wanted a commitment, and he was not ready for that as he had recently ended a long-term relationship. It was heartbreaking, but several months later, I started dating my crush at work. He was dreamy, tall, dark, handsome, well-dressed, and mysterious. He pursued me, but I could never actually tell if he liked me. I was so nervous around him, I felt myself constantly seeking his approval. Whenever I sought a deeper connection, he was dismissive and made me feel like I was asking for too much. I started acting out in the relationship, yelling, slamming doors, doing things not in my nature at all. Eventually, I broke things off. Several months after things ended with Guy 2, I bumped into Guy 1, and we rekindled things. He's been an amazing partner to me, and after years of failure in dating, I feel so safe and seen in this relationship. We just moved in together. But Chelsea, I need your help. I still think about Guy 2 constantly. I think about the what-ifs and what our relationship could have been. I'm so happy with my current boyfriend, and he is funnier, smarter, and more emotionally intelligent than Guy 2 ever was. So why am I still so hung up on this guy? I've been in therapy and I've done a lot of personal growth. You even inspired me to do ayahuasca, but I can't shake this obsession, Chelsea. <laughs> I need a reality slap and some tough love. How do I let this guy go, Kelsey?
5: Hi, Kelsey. Hi. Hi. This is Beth. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, I'm Beth. <laughs> Hello. Beth is using her bedroom voice today. And by the way, we're <laughs> all we're all going by Kelsey from now on. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Call me Kelsey. <laughs> so we're in this together you need to read the book attached because it talks about exactly what the dynamic is. You're rejected, blah, 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 for you're from an anxious kind of attachment. He's from Mm -hmm. a, an avoidant and anxious and avoidant. They, they, Basically, I mean, they paint this picture for you. It's perfect. You read about hundreds of different relationships and just there are three dynamics that are at play at all times. And when we, for some reason, we are addicted to that dynamic. When you are an anxious attachment, you're addicted to somebody who's avoidant. And the goal is to find a secure person, which it sounds like you have found. You've moved in together. You're happy. You're free. It literally is just your ego knocking at your door and you're beholden to it and you're allowing yourself to be. So you just need to read a very like easy book to read and you will get it. I promise you after you read that book.
6: Did you ever read that book, Catherine? No, I haven't. I need oh, to. Oh, it's just so,
5: I mean, it's like paints every relationship dynamic you've ever been in. And then you're like, oh, you know, it's a tale as old as time. We'd love to be addicted to our last rejection.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's basically just like this tastes like shit. Yeah, I will have some more. Thank you so much. I don't know. I that I need to read the book, too, apparently. I've written it down. Kelsey, do you bring up
5: your ex, the guy number two to guy number one? Sorry, I forgot no. which guy's <laughs>
7: No, I don't talk about my ex to my current boyfriend. I wouldn't want to, like, burden him with that.
4: But Does he know anything about him?
7: We've talked about exes in like loose terms before, but he certainly doesn't know that I still have an attachment to him. Yeah.
4: Are you in touch with him at all? So we do work together.
7: So I do see him at work,
4: unfortunately. Oh, well, that's a big part of it then. You're still seeing them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it every day you're back in the office or is it Zoom in?
7: Yeah, not every day.
4: Okay. But still you're seeing them.
7: Yeah, and I think mostly I just want to get. I feel like really emotionally reactive when I see him. Like, feel like my heart beats faster and like my stomach turns, and I just want to let go of that emotional attachment I still have.
4: Yeah, that's a tough one—the the the physical reaction and having to see them again, because that happens for a lot of people. But they're never like they might see them once, you know, in years. So still having to work with that person, I can imagine why that would. Why this is a little bit more ever present? Yeah, or having trouble letting go. See, the the issue for me sometimes is is social media when you can tell what they're up to now, whether they've moved on or or they're with someone new, or like it reveals too much. Unfortunately, we know too much.
7: (laughs) Yeah, I had to even like unfriend him on Venmo. (laughs) Uh,
4: My ex blocked me on everything, including Venmo and Spotify. I mean, I dumped them, but I think they just didn't want to know what I was up to at all. Yeah, it's so funny to do the Venmo block. (laughs)
7: <laughs> it reveals a lot it surprisingly reveals a lot
4: i know like they paid this person for dinner this person for weed slash cake and then <laughs>
5: <laughs> who else
4: they're with it is true you're right
5: does venmo allow you to see their other transfers
4: yes mm-hmm. you better put yourself on private chelsea i'm not on venmo but if you think i know
5: how to pay something <laughs> like i don't even know what the fuck that is I just for a long time i thought venmo was a record store i was like what <laughs> Are those back? No, I'm not on. I can't believe you can watch other people's transactions. That doesn't oh my sound God. right.
4: Hannibal sometimes will just comment. He just gets on Venmo and says, "Cool." Like on. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Anyway, Kelsey, listen to me. You are
5: way better than this, and you are way tougher than this, okay? So you have to find that inner part of yourself that is above this. And maybe it needs to be extinguished with this guy. Maybe you need to actually see him for longer periods of time so he can do the very thing that will turn your stomach and make you realize that you're with the right person, (laughs) not the wrong one. But it's all ego. You're allowing your ego to control you, and that's never going to be your winning game, right? you're cooler than that. You're going to get past this. And yeah, allow yourself as much exposure as you think you need with this guy, because I guarantee you, he will give you all the tools you need to get past it.
7: Yeah, I think that's true. I think reading the book will help. I do know about attachment theory, but I haven't actually read that book. So I'm sure that will help a lot. And yeah, I do think seeing him maybe for longer periods of time just to remind myself of why things broke off in the in the first place. So
5: yeah. And yeah. remind yourself every day, like remind yourself how grateful you are to be in a healthy relationship where you're seen and loved and appreciated. Keep reminding yourself of that, you know, because eventually that feeling will take over. Yes, for sure. For sure. Thank you, Chelsea. Oh, you're welcome, Kelsey. It's actually Kelsey. <laughs>
4: and, and me as well. <laughs> it was good to meet <laughs> you, Kelsey. <laughs> nice to meet you too. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Is it really? Am I really using a bedroom voice? Do you feel?
5: At the <laughs> beginnings, when you say hello, it's like your phone. It must be your phone voice. Where I you're like,
4: think what it is is if I have a mic close to my mouth, I feel like I I don't want to be harsh.
5: That, there it is again. That's your bedroom voice. Well, it's definitely not harsh. So I mean, go with it. It's good.
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> there is nothing worse than having old feelings for someone that you're not with. It is the terrible. most terrible. It's like almost dehumanizing. <laughs> it makes you feel so small when someone yeah. else controls your feeling in that way you know the yeah. way like butterflies I mean not in the good way because butterflies can be great but
4: true but the what she described is that physical feeling like because I've dated comics so it's like you're gonna see him at the club again or whatever or you've you know somebody on the other coast if you're over there and it is that physical reaction a heartbeat or your stomach mm. turning and you don't know how it's gonna go between you you're just like I don't know what they're going to say to me and the anxiousness of it.
5: Yeah, yeah.
4: And they know you or that who you were at that time. That's the other part, the intimacy of knowing you in that certain way. I feel like it's more reckless with comics because they have a microphone in front of their mouth. I always like to get the first time
5: out of the way with any awkward reinteraction with somebody or reintroduction or first time after something happened. I feel like it's important to get that out of the way so that you can move on to the next stuff because it's always that that we put so much weight on and we think so heavily about And if we could just like fast forward to it and just do it, like look forward to it, you know, because once you do that, then that's that's the last first time you're going to have to see them again. (laughs) Yeah, that's
6: true. We'll take a quick break for an ad and then we'll be right back with Beth Stelling.
5: Hi, guys, we're back. We're back with Beth and Catherine and Order your books now and with 25% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. So go to books.com and use promo code Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code Chelsea.
0: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of hair removal
1: tools that just don't cut it? Conair Bomb gives you smooth, flawless results while putting you firmly in control.
7: Fine. try this from the washington post wherever you listen
5: with you i'm so glad that we could arrange for you to be on
4: i know thank you so much for having me i love the pod and you know i really i was gonna say i really care about you which then started to <laughs> feel weird um <laughs> but i am really happy to be here with you it was just nice to talk especially because i know you can understand so i appreciate you even just sharing what you did about you know taking the break and I don't know, coming back. I've thought about different ways to reinvigorate myself. and But yeah, I was struggling with what we were saying, which is you're so prolific in your writing and your books. I mean, massively. And there has been part of me that's like, oh, I should write a book. And our friend, even Phoebe Robinson has an imprint. And she's even mentioned to me like, hey, have you thought about... And it's like, what's stopping me? Is it me? Am I being self-sabotaging right now? Am I being a whiny baby after my special? Or is it really, it's not one way or the other? We just, there's a pandemic going on, a lot of things going on in the world, and I just have to start over, and that's something that was delayed. And anytime you have to start over, it's difficult. So Mm -hmm. delaying it and not getting back on the road may have extended those feelings.
5: There you go. That's exactly right. You just need a little fire under your ass, and you're going to have to, unfortunately, light it yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Denver will help, I think. It will. It will. All you do is take a couple of like steps in the right direction and then you're off and you're running and everything starts going towards what you're working for, you know, and it's totally normal to feel the way you're feeling. Do you know how many people have said this, you know, who are like, I can't do anything. You feel desultory. It's just like it's so listless. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, fuck. What's the point of anything? That- you know. <laughs> yeah. But what if, you know, what you do is going to save somebody? What if what you write is going to save somebody? And it will, most likely, you know, you're going to have an impact on others.
4: And if that's the motivation you need, then use that. Yeah, I will. And just like we said, remember, have a little more fun on the road. Like people are happy there to see you. And it's just there to have a good time. Because I am thankful for them every time they show up. It's just like that weird almost block I put up. When you, sometimes it feels like that at the comedy store, like there's other, you know, there's venues that you love that you feel comfortable and you can just get right into yourself. I feel very like much like that at Largo or, but the store, sometimes the dudes in the front, I just get this vibe that's like arms crossed, like, we'll see if you can make me laugh. And that's the vibe that I'm almost projecting, which these people don't deserve. (laughs) They've paid to come (laughs) see me. So I need to just sort of get a little more positive with that.
5: Yeah. And maybe stay away from the comedy store for a while if it's going to bring out those feelings in you. You know, I find the comedy. I would never go to the comedy store. Watch. I'll be there next week. But (laughs) I I mean, you know, don't like go to places that don't make you feel good until you can go there and feel good no matter what happens. Yeah,
4: absolutely. I agree with that. I've avoided Buffalo for years. (laughs) <laughs> uh,
5: i can't say any of the cities i'm trying to avoid because i'm about to go- i'm about to go to every single one oh, yeah i
6: was gonna say you're facing your fears yeah well beth before we let you go do you have a piece of advice you'd like to ask of Chelsea? well
4: i've milked it slowly throughout i knew what i was doing <laughs> i got what i needed no but <laughs> the last question would be how many times is the regular amount of times to pee in the night
5: Oh God, you know what? I think I go too many times. I go, I've been going to pee like four times Same. every single night. Same. And I feel like that's a lot.
4: I think something's
5: wrong. Well, Joe doesn't pee at all in the middle of the night. So it's definitely a female thing, which we know, mm-hmm. but
4: it used to be two times and now it's four times. Yeah. I'm, I'm up there as well. I'll go to the doctor and find out for the both of us.
5: I actually am a doctor, so why don't I just, I look into it and I'll announce it on next week's podcast. You know what, I
4: I need to go back and watch your special in the beginning and take the notes on what I need to take.
5: Oh, yeah. No, no, I'll send you, I'll send you a special subscription. I mean, prescription, excuse me. Okay, thank you. Actually, no, I'll send you a subscription and then a prescription. (laughs) They go well together. Okay,
4: perfect. All right. Thank you, Beth. Yeah, thanks for having me. I can't wait to see your new stuff. (laughs) I can't wait to see you in person (laughs) and your new stuff. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks, Beth. Yeah.
6: Well, Chelsea, do you want to tell us
5: about your show dates? Coming up, guys, I'm coming February 3rd. I have two shows in Portland. The second show still has tickets, so please get them. And then I'm coming to Eugene on the 5th. And then I am going back to Whistler. And then I have more dates coming up all over Canada in March and April. And then I'm coming back to the States for the remainder of my vaccinated and horny tour. I'm coming to Louisville, Kentucky, Birmingham, Alabama, Montclair, New Jersey, Santa Rosa, California, all sorts of shit. So get your tickets and I will see you on my stand up tour. Also, for tickets to Vancouver and Calgary, I really apologize for all the changing of dates, but now the Grammys have been rescheduled for the day that I was going to reschedule my Vancouver dates, and I don't get nominated for Grammys very often, people, so I have to go to those. So we are rescheduling again the Vancouver and Calgary dates. They are most likely to be rescheduled in August, but you can always check my website. We will update, or Instagram, or Twitter. We update it all the time. And as soon as we have those dates locked in, you will hear about it. So, my apologies. And any tickets you have will be honored for those new rescheduled
6: dates. And if you'd like to get advice from Chelsea and one of her guests, please write into Dear Chelsea Project at gmail.com.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
1: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Air Girlbomb
5: Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash Chelsea to learn more. That's dot com forward slash Chelsea.